Well, we're glad you're here tonight. Are you glad to be here? And uh, by the way, we've also lost my microphone. So you see this thing? You see this little box with a string on it? You know it belongs probably to me, okay? All right. I t- what we're going to do tonight is we're going to go ahead, in case you noticed on the sermon sheet this morning, there were a couple more verses that we did not finish. And that was intentional. I, you know, I, I intentionally divided it where it was. So we want to go ahead. But before, we, before I tell you what we're going to do is, let's do just a little bit of review because the mo- this morning was so different. So we talked about there were three things. Do you remember what they were? What was the first one? Yeah, rejoice always. Be filled with joy. And was that an option or was that a command? It was a command, okay, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and then we talked about the fact that, that Jesus said, I, thought, I still think this is probably one of the incredible thoughts there is. That as the Father loved Jesus, Jesus loves us, abide in that love. And the end, he tells us, I tell you that so your joy, my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. Just to know that the same way that the Father loves Jesus, Jesus loves me, is pretty incredible. Amen? So don't forget that. We're going to be a joy-filled people. And then we talked about prayer, about prayer, all right? That we should be a people of prayer. And then there's, there's corporate worship prayer, and then there's that private prayer. And then there's that prayer that Paul was talking about when he said pray without ceasing, that we do that throughout our day. Whisper a prayer, short, simple prayers, three or four words. As God brings thoughts to your mind, just, just say those thoughts. Say, Father, bless so-and-so, or God, you know this need in my life. It's, and it, it'll just strengthen your faith. It'll be a great addition to your prayer life. So we should pray without ceasing. And then also we're supposed to be thankful. How much? In all things, in all circumstances. That's exactly right. We're to be thankful in all things, all right, in all circumstances. And we can do that. And I didn't use this word this morning, but I'll go ahead and use it, that God is sovereign, that God's in control. And we quoted and used Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. Not that all things are good because some things are evil, but God has the amazing ability, amazing ability to bring good out of the worst of circumstances. And that's a really encouraging thought. And then we close with the idea that, that this is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. Not just being thankful and not just praying, but also being filled with joy. And people often want to say, what is God's will for my life? And each one of those had side, good side effects. You know, things that we would personally uh, draw out of it. If we, you know, we, we pray that we won't become discouraged. We pray and we won't be yielding to temptation. A merry heart is, is a good medicine, and, and a dry heart is, you know, it's like dries up the bones. You know, we learned these things this morning. So those are all very important things, and they were all kind of positive things. And then Paul goes to, and not negative in the sense it's negative, but, but it's in another direction. And it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, and 24. So if you want to go and take your Bibles there, and we'll look at tonight. And they're very, very important, again, points that we need to look at. It prepares our hearts for a month of thanksgiving, for a lifetime of thanksgiving. Now, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, he says, do not quench the Spirit. Now, again, you've heard me say this over and over again. For some reason, that Baptists seem to have a problem with the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm not sure exactly why, but we have no problem with the Father. We talk about the Father freely. We invite the Father to act in our lives. And then we, of course, embrace the Son, Jesus Christ. But for some reason, it's almost as if we're afraid 
of the Holy Spirit. I just want to remind you, one, that the, the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. Amen? Father, Son, and Spirit. But He is absolutely essential. He is absolutely essential. The Holy Spirit, when you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. I, I still believe He's the agent of regeneration. When He comes in us, that's part of the regenerative process. But He is also our helper. He's our comforter. Um, I spoke this morning on the Baptist Hour, by the way, via recording because it was Sunday. But, but I spoke this morning on the Baptist Hour about how the, how the Holy Spirit is our helper, our helper in times when we need Him. He's our parakletos. Um, Jesus used that when he said, I will, I will send another one, parakletos. I will send a parakletos. I will send another one like me. And in the same way Jesus was the helper and the counselor and the good shepherd, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is. And Paul warns us. Notice that word. Paul warns us not to quench the Holy Spirit. The word quench there means to suppress the fire. To suppress the fire. May I ask you a question? Are you like your pastor? Do you sometimes wonder why more people are not saved? Do you wonder why a pastor, whether it be me or Brent or David or, or Ron or just someone, gets up and it seems like the message is effectively presented, but no one moves? Have you wondered that? I wonder if we are not guilty sometimes of suppressing the fire. I wonder, listen, listen, listen. I love the new song that David has called us where we encourage the Holy Spirit to fill the atmosphere. I will tell you this. If the Holy Spirit is quenched, whatever we do on Sunday morning becomes a show. If the Holy Spirit is quenched, all the power is removed. Billy Graham himself could stand up and preach and if the Holy Spirit is quenched, nothing's going to happen. At least not godly stuff. Amen? So this is so important. It's so important that when we come into worship that our hearts are made right. I keep saying over and over again, it's so important when we come into worship. Regardless of the style of music you like or don't like, regardless of someone just slapped you in the hallway, figuratively speaking, perhaps somebody wounded you, somebody hurt you, it's just so important. That hour and a half, it's so important that we just embrace it and say, God, God, don't let anything quench. Don't let anything suppress the fire of the Holy Spirit in the service today. Because it's a radical game changer when the Holy Spirit is not allowed to work, when we suppress Him. Now think about this. Is that not a crazy thought? As powerful as God the Father is, as powerful as the, as the Son is, as powerful as the Holy Spirit is, we, we have the ability to suppress Him. We have the ability the ability to quench him, that is a frightening thought, guys. You know, again, I think we so casually approach this thing of worship. We casually, and by the way, I need to tell you this. You know, in your quiet time, if your heart is filled with sin, gosh, you're spinning your wheels. It's important you spend time with the Father saying, God, this is my life. It needs to come out. Because like we can quench the Holy Spirit in public worship, we can quench the Holy Spirit in our private in fact, we can quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, there's a couple of scriptures I want to share with you. And to me, they're, one, they're a couple of the most, one's the most frightening scripture I think I know of. Besides Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus said, Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter of heaven. And did we not do this? Did we not do that? Depart from me, I never you. That's still one of the most frightening scriptures in the New Testament. But this one is found, if you want to go ahead and turn there, Mark chapter 5, 
verse 14 through 17. This is one of the most frightening scriptures there is. Mark chapter 5, verse 14 through 17. Now, this is the story of the demon-possessed man. And this is the part of the story after he has been delivered, after Jesus has cast out the evil spirit, the, union, the uh, legion of spirits there. Okay, the, the person has gone back to the village and said, you're not going to believe what's happened. Uh, that crazy guy is not crazy anymore, um, but the pigs have jumped off the cliff. Okay, look at verse number uh, 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus. Now, this is good. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And that word afraid there is not the bad word afraid. It's, it's in awe. They were wondering what in the world has happened. And again, you're going to see in just a moment, this up to now, this was not a bad thing. They perceived this as a good thing. I used to always say that, you know, a demon-possessed man in your neighborhood has a tendency to, draw, to pull property values down. I mean, if you, had, if you live next to the cemetery, anybody here live next to San, uh, Sunset Lawn or one of those? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of like if you have a naked man running around a cemetery, it kind of depresses the property values. You know what I mean, Carrie? It's just not a good thing. All right, well, that's exactly, not being funny, that's exactly what this guy was doing. And so they were probably pleased that, that this had happened, that the man was now sane and he was clothed and in his right mind. But then the Bible says, says this, And those who had seen it described it to them, what had happened to the demon-possessed man, yay, and what happened to the pigs, nay. They had lost their profit. They had lost their money-making machine in the hogs. And the Bible says in verse 17, And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And what did he do? He got in the boat and left. I am frightened as a people of God. And again, I just, want, I just always feel the need to temper this because I think we have a pretty incredible church. But I have to put us in the boat. I am so fearful that as a people of God, we inadvertently beg Jesus to leave, and he does that. Every time we gather together, we need to invite Jesus, not push him away. We never want to beg Jesus to leave our presence. But sometimes we do that by our attitudes, and by our actions. It's frightening to think that ordinary people asked Jesus to leave, and he did exactly that. It's frightening to think that we can do the same thing. Then there's another scripture in Matthew chapter 13, verse 53 through 58, that's kind of the same thing. Matthew 13, 53 through 58. And when Jesus had finished these parables... He went away from there, and coming to his hometown, beware of, familiar, beware of being familiar. He finished these parables. He went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get his wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. I need to tell you, when we quench the Holy Spirit, we take offense at God. We've got to be careful. 
that we don't do that. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. Now listen carefully. Verse 58. And he did not do many mighty works there because of what? Their unbelief. Wow. Wow. We have got to be so careful that, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is welcome in our worship services. And by that I mean we're not suppressing the fire. So someone's going to say tonight, and exactly how do you quench the fire? Exactly how do you quench the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't think there's particularly a necessary scripture that, that says, well, this is exactly how you do it. But I promise you this, that when we, when a people of God gather together corporately and their hearts are acting like lost people, it quenches the Spirit. And I think in our lives, in our lives, in your pastor's life, in your pastor's lives, pastor's lives, that when I act or behave like a lost person, particularly, I think, in my heart, then that quenches the Holy Spirit. Ephesians, in chapter 4, verse 25, we get a list. Listen to what it says. Therefore, this is Paul writing in church evidence, uh, Ephesians 4, 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry. What? Yeah. Be angry but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So if you are carrying anger against another person, saved or lost, could that quench the Holy Spirit? Yeah. How about that? Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone he needs, which I, I thought was unusual. We're to get a job so we can share. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Would that quench the Holy Spirit? Would that quench the Holy Spirit? Would unwholesome talk quench the Holy Spirit? Yeah, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. That may give grace to those who hear. And then he says the same thing. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you, along with all malice. See, again, I keep saying this because I really want, I, when I repeat things, it's not that I've got nothing else to say. I'm really trying to burn our hearts. Sins of the heart are so dangerous. We Baptists are so big, drink a beer and you're going to hell. And that may be true if you're lost. But we want to gloss over these sins of the heart so much. We can, we can be angry. We can have clamor. We can slander. We can be malice. We can have all those things. And it's like it, because no one can see it, it doesn't count. God sees it. And it quenches His spirit. When you sit there on Sunday morning or even tonight and in your heart this wad of bitterness is there, you are like your own atmospheric condition. And your atmospheric spiritual condition quenches the spirit. And I remind you, you're over here 
and you're angry at your husband, you're angry at your wife, you're angry at your brother, you're, you're angry because someone's hurt you and offended you. And there's a lost person sitting one, one row over, two seats back. And we wonder why no one gets saved. So what's our responsibility? Don't quench the Holy Spirit. We have an obligation when we corporately worship, because that's what impacts the largest crowd. We have an obligation when we corporately worship to make sure we're prepared to worship. In other words, we've purified our hearts. And to the best of our ability, we say, Father, I need your help. I'm angry at this person. I'm bitter about this. I'm angry about that. God, with your help, would you please remove that from my heart? Does this make sense? Does it make sense? Hugely important. Hugely important. I almost wish we had a hard x-ray machine. A hard x-ray machine. So we could examine our hearts. And we do. It's the Holy Spirit. And then in case you still need a little shove, I need a little shove. Because by the way, clay feet, I think the sins of the heart are so important to me because that's one of my secret things I visit. Be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. How much? As God in Christ forgave you. Guess what I taught them in Africa? I said, God's word says we are to forgive one another. And I said, and, and frankly, I was answering a question. What did, what did Jesus mean when he said 70, seven times 70? Did he mean any limit? I said, no, he's preaching without limit. And I quoted this verse. And I told those Africans, I said, how much do you want God to forgive you? And that's how much you forgive give your brother. How many of y'all want God to forgive you 10 times? How about 20, 30, 50, 1,000, a million? Amen? Yeah. Amen. All day, all long, no limits. That's how we're to forgive others. And I'm telling you, if you want to please the Holy Spirit, these outward actions are important. But if you want to please the Holy Spirit, have a pure heart. Have a forgiving heart. Have a loving heart, just like your Savior did. So don't quench, don't suppress the fire of the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 20 and 21, he says, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. And I was telling with Jen, and, and I didn't mention Tyler, but I was talking to Jen. You know, Andy Stanley was preaching this morning. Some things he said just came across to me wrong. And he's not perfect, and I'm sure he had a reason the way he said it. But something he said was very important. You know, back when Paul wrote this, you know, he made it very clear that Paul's writings, these letters, and that's, it's a collection of letters and documents. He's right on with that, okay? But these letters and documents were written about 50-55. And the Gospels weren't written down two years after that. So there were, Paul was answering questions. We know that because we have some of his writings that we now call the Bible. But he was answering questions. And there were people who were being critical of the things that, that Paul and others were writing. And Paul is saying, do not despise prophecies. Now again, Paul also said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that prophets will win. I believe that we have the Word of God, and that's the complete revelation of the Word of God. Amen? It is the complete revelation of God. But still, here's where it applies to us. Because I think we need to make sure, how does it apply to my life, Wayne? We've got to be careful not to despise the Word of God. And some, sometimes we do. 
We all have our pet scriptures that we love it. I mean, I, I mean, we could say the preacher, whoever it is, the preacher could get up and say certain things and, yeah, amen, preach. Whoa, shoot that thing. But then we start talking about things like bitterness and anger, and it gets strangely quiet in the room. And it gets really quiet when you mention money. It's real quiet. But Paul says, don't despise prophecies. You know, I've got, I've got my Bible. I've got a little paper here. But let me give you to Numbers 21.5. Let me just read it to you. This is, the, this is when the bronze serpent thing took place in the Old Testament. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? Now listen. There is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Let that soak in. Every day, Candy, God provided manna. In His goodness and grace, they didn't have to work for it. All they had to do is go in out and harvest it day after day after day. And the Bible even says it tasted like honey loaf. But they got angry. They got mad because things weren't exactly like they expected. And so they said, we loathe this manna, this worthless bread. So fearful that sometimes we treat the Word of God the same way. This is the precious living Word of God. And we should honor it. We should love it. We should, re uh, we should read it. We should apply it. We should ingest it. Amen? 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 We should. Yeah, that's a good thing to clap for. Go ahead. I know it's Sunday night. But I'm telling you, for being a people of the word, we just aren't in it. Too many, too many folks go week to week without the word of God. Let this thing just get inside. You know, when I love the story, and, and it's kind of gross, when Jesus is talking about it in John chapter 6, and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you can have no part with me. And they're going, what? What? And I said, I'm not sure what that means at all. But I know this, that when I eat something, it becomes part of who I am. And when I drink something, it becomes a part of who I am. And when Jesus comes to our life, he becomes a part of who I am. And when I read this blessed, blessed, holy Bible, it should become a part of who I am. We must not despise the word of God. We should preach and believe the whole counsel of God. Would you say amen? Now, now listen to what Peter said. Uh, Peter said in First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter one twenty, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. We don't have the right to take a Scripture out of context and make it mean what we want it to mean. But he goes on and says this: For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 6.33, that same chapter, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words, now listen, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. They are spirit and they are life. 1 John 5.3, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not a burden. So don't despise the Word of God. You know, again, let me ask you a question. Let's see, let's pick on somebody. Let's pick on Dave and Cain. Okay? All right. So, David, you tell Candy, Candy, 
She's my candy. All right, Candy, here you, right, here you go, David. So you say to Candy, I love you. Oh, it's going to be kissy time. Oh, right here in church. <laughs> okay, but Candy, he says he loves you, but he never talks to you. He never wants to spend time with you. In fact, Candy, he ignores you. Would you believe that he loves you? No. What do you think it says then that when we say, God, I love you, and God, I love your word, but we never read it. We never apply it. We never ingest it into our lives. Which is speaking louder, our actions or our words? Our actions. Amen? Our actions. So we really need to be a people of the word. We need to apply. Don't despise the prophecies. But test everything. And then hold fast what is good. What is good. And then, in verse number 22, he says, Abstain from every form of evil. That's important. Now, I know we've got to be careful. Because we'll take that and turn to a whipping like a whip for a horse. You, know, you can't do that because of appearance of evil. You know, again, King James used the word appearance. Uh, other translations don't use that word. But we'll take it and say, you can't do this and you can't do that because of appearance of evil. I think that's overboard. But at the same time, we need to be careful. Because there are certain things that we do that we know they're close enough to sin or they point to sin or they're a bad testimony in our lives. You know, when you see Donnie's car parked in front of Candy's house when Dave's not home, well, he ignored her. What do you expect? Wouldn't you say that's just a form of appearance of evil that we need to watch out for? Sure. Sure it is. Sure it is. So we need to be careful. Now you say again, Dwayne, what does that really look like? Well, I, I chose Second Timothy. There are several scriptures in the Bible that give you just a good list of things. Okay? But in Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5, here's some things. Listen. But understand this. That in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, um, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, and not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, have the appearance of, <laughs> have the appearance of godliness but denying its power. When things start looking like that list, abstain from that. When your life starts looking more like the world than it does Christ, amen, abstain from that. Be careful. Be careful. And then in verse 23 he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify, and the word sanctify remember means set apart. May he set apart you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm glad to report to you as your pastor that positionally that has happened. When you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you were placed in Christ. You were placed in Christ. Amen for that. Our responsibility is practically by abstaining from the appearance or the form of evil. We should... Listen, it's not legalistic to say it. It's truth. We need to be a holy people. Not to be saved, but because we are. And then he says in the last verse, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely 
doing it. Paul said this way in Philippians, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. He is going to finish the work he started in creation. He's going to start, finish the work he started in us. In us. So what's the take home? What's the big deal? You know, if, if, if any of them, I would take that first verse. You say, Dwayne, well, actually the first two. Dwayne, what's the big deal? I really pray as we, Wednesday, not just Sunday morning, when we come together Wednesday night, that before or as we worship, we'll say, God, purify my heart. Lord, don't let me be a spirit quencher. Let my heart be good as I worship. And then, Lord, help me to embrace your word. Because as you know, the chunk of our worship goes something like this. We worship with music, with word, and with prayer. And then we worship through the proclamation of the word. So, A, let's not quench the Holy Spirit in our worship, and let's not quench the Holy Spirit by ignoring His Word. As God speaks, let it speak to us. Let me close with this illustration. Once again, we finished Judgment House. And, again, I had the privilege of presenting to about, about 150 people a night, 125 to 150 people a night, and did you know, it's amazing, the vast majority of those people didn't feel the need to get saved, to recommit their lives, or to be prayed for. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? And next week, Lord willing, we'll have about 375 people on this campus, and the vast majority will feel no need to get saved, recommit their life, or to be prayed for. And you wonder, God, what is that? And it might be, it might be that we are quenching his Holy Spirit. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, can't do anything about Linda, and I can't do anything about George, guess who I can do something about? Me. Me. Gypsy Smith, the old evangelist, when he's talking about revival, drew a circle of guys and said, how do you bring revival? He drew a circle and got in the middle of it and said, let it start with me. So as we gather for worship, the only the only responsibility you have is you. Dear God, prepare my heart. Help me not to be a spirit quencher. Help me not to despise the word of God. Would you bow your heads right there? All this in preparation for a month of seeing God work in people's lives and being thankful even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. So now, let me ask you a question. This is our time of decision. Is there anything God spoke to your heart about this morning? Or is there anything God spoke to your heart tonight that you need to address or deal with in your life? And again, I appreciate what David did with the prayer. And he made it clear, this, you know, this altar is here, but you can do business with God there too. This is a special place, but it's not magical. I think I'm going to have Dave, if you just want to sing tonight, I'm going to let you folks stay seated. I'm going to let you bow your heads where you are. And let's, let's, let's do this. Let's go back. Are you joyful? Of all people, we should be joyful. Not because of our circumstances are good, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Are you joyful? Are you prayerful?
Are you prayerful? We worship corporately and pray corporately. I pray that you have a quiet time. But are you willing to get in that, that walk? I was going to say habit, and I don't like that word. Of prayer as you walk through life. Simple, short prayers from the heart. Are you thankful tonight? Trusting God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Is there anything right now in your heart that might quench the Holy Spirit? Are you angry at someone? Are you bitter at someone? Is there someone who's wronged you and you just can't yet forgive them? Do you need to say, God, I need your help? I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. Oh, bless me now. Your your spirit. With your spirit. Is there something that God in his word this week, through your quiet time, or even today, that his word has spoken to your heart and you need to deal with that? Is there a habit or action in your life that would bring discredit to God, to Jesus? You need to abstain from a form of evil. Practically, are you living holy? Practically, are you living holy? As Dave, I'm going to pray as Dave sings. Again, I'll be down front if I can pray with you about something. But right now, just review those in your mind. God, thank you very much for who and what you are and what you've done today. Thank you for the incredible expression of love uh, for the staff this morning. But God, most of all, thank you for your incredible expression of love for us through the cross. And Lord, talk to our hearts, speak to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And God's song is being played. Don't pass us by. Don't pass us by. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Dave C.